Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're talking about the nature, history and directions of work in Australia. Mm, Hopefully in our humble half hour we can at least throw around a few ideas so we can all think again together. We're talking about work on this first day of May, the day that should really have have remained the International Labour Day. With unemployment and underemployment skyrocketing, uh, skyrocketing because of the pandemic lockdowns, this offers a good opportunity to have a think-again look at some of the issues associated with work, labour and employment. Mm. So as part of our May Day conversation, we'll look at some historical transformations that made work look the way it looks today. We'll also discuss some of the still lingering assumptions of what work entails and includes and what it presumably doesn't, before ending with a look ahead at possible futures of work and how we may become better at the necessary work we should shift to when we hope to become less destructive for our environment, especially Mm -hmm. with the ways in which we work. In Australia, the official version of the history of work, labour and employment, it usually starts around the end of the 18th century or the late 1700s with the European invasion. It therefore fits squarely in the European notion of work and labour. As Adam Smith, Karl Marx and their consorts started to share their respective political and economic ideas, Aboriginal nations in Australia had been working the Mm. continent for what is now believed to have been around 70 to 80,000 years. Bill Gamage and Mm. Bruce Pascoe and many others now, meanwhile, have been unearthing the evidence of all of those efforts. Recently, also internationally recognised by the UNESCO, acknowledging the eel farming works in Western Victoria. Mm. Whether this will convince those who continue to refer to Indigenous ancestors as just simple hunter-gatherers mm. who not really did work, don't they? Didn't they now? Mm. It still needs to be seen whether that is actually going to penetrate in the, into their brains. <laughs> That's right. So with white invasion of Australia came the capitalist idea of work as something separated off from nature. Nature was seen as something to be dominated and exploited. Australian land was considered, infamously, no one's land and therefore available for exploitation by workers who supposedly knew how to work with the land better than the people who were already there. Aboriginal peoples were included in this idea of nature as also something to be conquered and controlled. 
especially since they were thought to not obey the will of the Lord, mm -hmm. who had actually dictated that the land needed to be used. And mm -hmm. that all against, of course, a background of conveniently assumed Western or uh, Northern Hemispheric superiority. In the important, imported and imposed vision of how a proper economy works, as well as being separated from nature and land, the only thing workers own is their capacity to work, whilst land and other means of production are owned by a rather small number of mm -hmm. capitalists, as most Getting extensively all the time. elaborated <laughs> by Karl Marx. Yeah, sorry, Jacques, I was saying, and the, and the number of capitalists is getting, who own the wealth is getting smaller all the time, of course. Yeah, That's so right. I, I, guess, <laughs> I guess the point is the workers don't own the land they work on or the factory where they work or the house of the master they clean, uh, for example. So um, they mostly go to work, as we say. They follow the discipline of the clock and the requirement for specific tasks to be performed. Uh, importantly, the aims of the work are set by those who have control, mostly to yield profits for themselves. Obviously, in a rather abbreviated formulation, it's a notion of work, labour or employment we're pretty familiar with, aren't we? Mm. That's right. That's what we mean when we say work. Uh, when we talk about the history of work, we usually mean paid work or employment, and usually not all the voluntary and caring work that's certainly real work, but unpaid. And to add insult to injury when not paid for, it's not even considered real work or, or even counted in our gross domestic product. Of course, this means that much of women's traditional work, especially in the household, but in many other areas of really necessary sustenance, this has been invisibilised and not taken account of, uh, as Marilyn Waring talked about in her famous 1988 book, Counting for Nothing. Yeah, it's really interesting that one of the most painful and difficult but essential activities that keeps our species in existence, and that is giving birth, is referred mm -hmm. to as labour. But nobody really would refer to it as work, and certainly not as employment. And as much as mm -hmm. giving birth, the giving of breast milk is also a gratis, a gratis, assumed voluntary gift by women, and bringing up the next generation as well. And we have illustrated the importance of voluntary labour a few weeks ago when we talked about the problems faced by welfare agencies relying on it to deliver services and provide support during the lockdown. So we are rather mm. choosy when we, when we accord value to the work humans do, forgetting mm. large amounts of it which are essential for our survival, really. Mm, that's right. On that note, we'll turn to some music, Working All Day by Craig Pinky and the Promos. Honest living, worth the giving, bring it home to you. Workers proudly, singing loudly. Stand and see it through We're working all day, maybe And 
the sand slips through our hands We're sharing the load of the winding road And knowing you understand Pull together, forget the weather We'll give all we've got Keep it fair Rewards to share Without our strength we're shot We're working all day Maybe One for all and all for one Divided we fall Can you hear the workers song? All we want is a figure And we won't back down We're gonna find us the right solution And we're gonna have faith We're gonna claim our share Oh yeah With a union stand With a union stand We're working all day Maybe And we only ask what's right We're brothers in arms And we run land and you don't want to test our might yeah we're brothers in arms and we run this land and we'll stand till we get our rights May the 1st, exercising for your rights activity at 8-Hour Monument, Corner Victoria and Ligon Street in Carlton. Masks, black and red clothes and posters optional. Social distancing in force. 5.30pm Friday, celebrating International Workers' Day. Leave no worker behind. A 3CR supporter. Power in the line. Power in the hand of the worker. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today on the first day of May, we're talking about the nature and history of work, labour and employment in Australia. 
Mm, that's right. Going back to the early times of colonisation, much of the work was done by forced labour of convicts and badly paid soldiers. The ACTU website has a history of Australian unions describing how work or labour was not always willingly performed. Quote, Indigenous resistance and convict mutiny established a tradition of opposition to power and privilege in Australia. As the economy grew in the 1820s, a recognisable working class formed and began to add to this rebellious legacy, unquote. So from the 1830s and the following decades, unions grew from small affairs, mostly focused on worker welfare and support, to being more politically active, with the focus on paid labour, of course, in the public sphere. Mm. And while we often just focus on the Ballarat Eureka event, Australia has a justly proud history of a strong labour movement, with workers banding together to counter the might of those with wealth and political power. Following the activism of stonemasons in 1856, the eight-hour working day was introduced, probably the first in the world. At the time, 14-hour days were not unusual, so this was quite a radical move. Yeah, also radical was the idea that the worker should actually have a life outside the needs of the employer. Mm. Uh, the eight-hour day spread and only went national, apparently, in the early 1900s. So it took quite a while to spread, but it started in 1856. The monument mm. to achieving this stands rather forlornly on the corner of Russell and Victoria Street in Melbourne CBD. So if you live nearby, even with the lockdown, you might want to go and have a stroll and have a look at that. Mm-hmm. Another significant milestone ahead of much of the rest of the world was the famous 1907 Harvester Judgment, and that addressed how worker wages should be set. The National Museum of Australia website describes it as such, using the Sunshine Harvester factory as a test case. Justin Higgins took the pioneering approach of hearing evidence from not only male workers, but also their wives to determine mm-hmm. what was a fair and reasonable wage for a working man to support a family of five. Higgins' ruling became the basis for setting Australia's minimum wage standard for the next 70 years or so. Mm. Mm. So I guess stopping in the late 70s sometime. Mm. So, of course, from a woman's point of view, even the harvester judgment uh, presupposed and maintained that women's fortunes were tied to the financial well-being of the man, which was very much true then and still also largely true now, unfortunately, even if in certain mm-hmm. areas levels of pay equity have been reached. That's correct, yeah. Still the household division of labour and other patriarchal and masculinist vestiges of the old order, they undo even those gains of mm. more equality in the workplace sometimes. Some evidence mm. of this can be found in the growing rate of homelessness of single old women, for example. Mm, which is really an unfolding tragedy. Yeah, uh, in the years after World War II, stepping back again, at least the semblance of an attempt at systemic fairness emerged 
which often does after wars, I guess, where a lot of people have mm. gone overseas and yeah. died and made sacrifices at home. So um, there was some idea of reciprocal benefit between workers and those mm. in power as an aspiration mm. and something that should be made real. Unfortunately, this has faded away in the last few decades of runaway neoliberalism, which was paradoxically introduced into the Australian political economy under a Labor government. Mm. Yeah. Labor, Labor sits in quotes in my mind. So we can really say that there has been, that we can't really say that there has been a lot of progress since the early progressive policy, policies introduced early after Federation, with regression obvious, especially during the last 40 or so years. Wages have been growing only sluggishly, if at all. Mm. Improved and work conditions have increasingly been set to assure employer profits rather than worker or family need. Inequality mm -hmm. has indeed multiplied by a factor of at least 20, <laughs> and not just in Australia, but basically worldwide. Mm -hmm. Which is incredible. Mm. So we'll now go to a brief promo before continuing this discussion. everybody, Sarah Carroll here. You might remember me from some of the shows I used to do on 3CR like uh, Vinyl and Shellac and Gasp and of course Hot Damn Tamale which I presented alongside Werner Martin for many years. Uh, I came into 3CR as a very young person uh, and learned a lot about not only radio and broadcasting but also the amazing diversity and uh, richness of the community that we're operating in. And I'd like to say to all of you, and I hope that you're all staying connected as you always have done through this wonderful radio station, that I hope that you're finding some comfort from uh, your association with 3CR from the shows that you listen to, the music that's played, and also the up-to-date and incredibly accurate and well-researched information that you receive. God bless you all, or whoever bless you all, and uh, take care. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR Digital and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about the nature and history of work and labour and employment in Australia and we are now starting to think a bit uh, about future directions, particularly also mm -hmm. passing through the present pandemic experience and what that means for work. Mm, which has really ampl amplified a lot of issues mm -hmm. as we've talked about in past programs. Mm. So one progressive idea is a universal wage, a guaranteed income for all. So, Like a growing group of writers and economists, Rutger Bregman in his book Utopia for Realists argues for a universal, unconditional, basic income for all. Describing the current situation, he says, Look around. Greater flexibility in the workforce demands that we create greater security. Globalisation is eroding the wages of the middle class. The growing rift between those with and those without a college degree, I'd say in general too, make it essential to give the have-nots a leg up. And the development of ever-smarter robots could even cost the have their jobs. Mm. 
the late John Thumlinson here in Australia, he has been a promoter of the ideal of the idea of a universal wage in this country for decades, without much success, it has to be said. And mm, in evidently. the case mm. and in the case for universal basic income, Louise Hark suggests that raw capitalism has re emerged with vigour. And the big forces pushing up inequality include the concentration of financial capital, the weakening of unions, the monopolization linked with technology platforms, and mm -hmm. finally, political elitism. Mm. And looking around, we can all see and experience a few things, quite a few things. Employment has become more precarious, casualized, and short-term. We call it the gig economy for good reasons, I think. Income is less likely to cover the cost of living, especially on a regular and secure basis, and particularly also with the housing uh, having get into the stratospheric prices therein. That's right. Mm. We see employers taking less responsibility for fairness in employment arrangements, with workers more and more expected to be self-employed entrepreneurs. I love the idea and of being an entrepreneur. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In and therefore becoming more powerless and subject subject to coercion. Mm. We see jobs that are paid the most. We, we see the jobs that are paid the most often add nothing of true social value or productivity. They are often geared to merely enhancing the value of existing capital for the haves. Rutger Bregman again and David Graeber and others, they call them bullshit jobs. Mm. <laughs> yes, so many bullshit jobs contributing nothing. Sorry, mm. I just had to say that, Jacques, because yeah, really no, they are totally. bullshit jobs. Mm. So looking at the effects of the coronavirus lockdown, it's interesting how the value of quite a few normally undervalued jobs have been has been rediscovered. So work in food production, teaching, suddenly teaching is valued, caring is suddenly valued, early childhood development, volunteering, all these jobs, they're suddenly gaining attention as essential activities without which life can't really continue in any healthy or meaningful sense. Even if they are not paid for. <laughs> On the other hand, right. glimpses, into, uh, glimpses into a rather scary future, also they come quite obvious. The McKell Institute in Brisbane suggests that the pandemic has suddenly divided society by splitting Australia's 13 million workers into three groups. 40% are knowledge workers who are able to work from home. 40% are frontline workers, as they call them, a broad group ranging from doctors to supermarket checkout chicks and mm. whatever, roosters, I suppose, uh, who still mm. have jobs but now risk contracting coronavirus at their work. Mm. And then finally... What a devil's pact. Devil's pact job in, in, in mm. exchange yeah. for your health. That's right. 20, uh, and finally, 20% of others... And those are the people who now find themselves unemployed or seriously underemployed as a result of the pandemic and the lockdown. That mm. report concludes the terrible irony of COVID-19 is that the people most likely to be working from home were already better off 
before the pandemic, the knowledge worker categories of managers, professionals, and clerical workers, they had a media, median wages of 32 to $47 an hour. They may be even better off maintaining a wage while living expenses such as travel mm. to and from work, recreation, and childcare, they are plummeting. The most affected categories of laborers, tradespeople, and personal service workers, they had pre-pandemic median wages of 25 to $30 an hour. And when we mm. look at the number working in each occupation of that latter category, we can see that median wages in those groups were 40% lower for affected workers. Mm. So, so uh, Chuck, you can see that... Are they saying that median wages were 40% lower for workers who are already on lower yes, wages because of the that's pandemic? That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. And finally, just to also have a bit of look at uh, a little bit further at the future of work, uh, environmentalists, they have been seeing and suggesting that's what ha what's happening in the, during the pandemic. That will become a scenario for the crisis, environmental crisis, which we can expect and which we, if you think about it, in, uh, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria, have just also gone through before the pandemic broke loose. So in some important ways, we could look at this crisis as a place to learn uh, how to behave and how to survive, really, when mm -hmm. the ecological crisis are going to break loose. The second mm -hmm. thing, there is huge transformations in the nature of work, presenting lead, presently leading to rather unpredictable futures. They're governed, workers meanwhile more and more governed by artificial intelligence. Robots are now coming onto the scene with automated processes, removing mm -hmm. a wide variety of direct human effort from the existing landscapes of labor, mm -hmm. work and employment. And it's quite, quite interesting. Yesterday, the news that uh, the Minister for uh, Resources and Water, Keith Pitt, he took an aim at people like like us who are trying to argue for uh, you know for, for more understanding of what's going to happen to us ecologically, talking about mm -hmm. the GitHub people as cashed up activists who hold up mines, dams, and deforestation simply he said because they can afford it. What a, what a total misunderstanding mm -hmm. of the reality where we are actually looking forward to, and that is a utterly changed landscape of the nature of work. Many of the, work, mm -hmm. of the jobs in mines and all that are just going to disappear. And the final thing to be yeah. thinking of is the political changes. You know, mm. already the disadvantaged, excluded, and marginalized people, they will be losing. But on top of that, the specter of a fully automated and big brother government uh, mm. which is certainly mm -hmm. prefigured by already existing and growing authoritarianism, uh, populism, and electronic surveillance, you know, sometimes for good yeah. reasons, like in the context That's of right. uh, the apps which we yeah. are now supposed to to mount or to put into our, our, our mobiles. But again, but these are really technologies which will create possibilities for authoritarianism and and, and populism, yeah. which we so we need. We really need the activism to. Yeah. Sorry, Jacques. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. 
sorry to interrupt. We've got so much to say, and I'm conscious that we've only got a few minutes left, but um, I guess there's a, a there's a possible dystopian future which we have to fight mm -hmm. against, and that's of our lives being ruled by automation and artificial intelligence rather than mm -hmm. by humans. Yeah. At the same Labor time, work. it's fighting to yeah. keep the good things that we're newly valuing, and we right. really need to band together. I think um, mm -hmm. it's really important for us to um, mm -hmm. keep our solidarity and be proactive. Um, but mm -hmm. firstly, we need to think about what labour is and not have this the idea of labour imposed on us by those in power. Mm -hmm. Yep. And particularly then also think about the just transition uh, into a future which we barely can understand at the present moment. So thanks for listening to uh, oh, so on 3CR, mm -hmm. Community Radio, with Jacques Boulet and Jennifer Borel. Remember, if you do want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can call Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. And I did interrupt Jennifer before, so sorry about that. Well, you could that's still okay, we're the host with too much to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so meanwhile, okay. stay tuned for the following program, Stick Together, which covers International Workers' Memorial Day. To bring us into this program, we have There is Power in a Union by Billy Bragg. And also we want to thank you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.